All right, Two Cities Church, that's the bullseye. That's the touchdown. That's the end zone. That's what it looks like for us to win as a church. And that's what we celebrate, people's lives who've been genuinely changed by Jesus. And the way that Jesus often changes people's lives is through other people. I mean, that's what you heard in that story. There's Krista, right? It's like, well, Krista came to college and she wasn't a Christian. And then Krista becomes a Christian. And what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, we can't say it any more clearly than it means to follow Jesus and help others find and follow Jesus. And so she's following Jesus, and then she just decides, I'd like to help somebody else find and follow Jesus. And what an incredible story, because here's our conviction here, that found people find people. That when your life has been changed and transformed by the gospel, that's exactly what you wanna see happen in other people's lives. You wanna see people go from spiritually lost to spiritually leading. And I love what Krista said. If you heard that, my favorite line that she says in that video is, she says, Josie was my friend, but I wanted her to be my sister in Christ. Can you relate to that? I mean, did you got a brother or a sister that you go, man, they're a great brother and sister, but I wish they were my brother and sister in Christ. Some of us are heartbroken over our kids. It's like, I love my sons and I love my daughters and they're good sons and daughters. But what I really want them to be is I want them to be my brother and sister in Christ. Some of us feel that about mom and dad. So they don't understand, you know, they, and they did the best they could and they were great parents, but they don't even understand what I'm doing and they're far from God and they're close to me and I, I just want them to be my brother and my sister in Christ. We feel that maybe better friends or our family members, our coworkers, our classmates. So here's what we're gonna do today. When you got in here, there was a little card and there was a, a pen. If you can grab that, okay. Uh, I'm not gonna look at what you write down here, but I'm gonna tell you what to write in a second, okay? Uh, I want you to write down the name of one person, not two people, not three people. Okay, one, we're gonna keep things real simple here. One person who is far from God and who's close to you, okay? And if you brought them today, just write their initials real little, okay, right down there, okay? <laughs> And if you came here today and you said, I, I'm not a believer, I, you know, I, I'm just seeking and, and I'm a seeker, I'm a skeptic, then write me down. Okay, write me down on the card. Um, guys, what we want to do is we're going to pray for this, but, but we're going to pray for these people uh, because here's what we believe. We believe that the primary way that God reaches other people is through faithful Christian people. Yeah, every once in a while, someone stumbles upon a Bible. Every once in a while, someone finds a podcast or they're on their own spiritual journey. Most times it's Christians helping other Christians come to Jesus. So we're gonna pray right now for those cards, I'll give you a chance to write while I pray. Um, and then at the end, we're gonna do something special. So you'll see that in about 45 minutes. So let's pray. Lord, we just right now wanna give you these cards. These cards uh, represent people that we love. And in the Old Testament and the New to some extent, there's always these different symbols that you would give us to remind us. Things, ways that you wanted us to remind ourselves so this card is maybe just a reminder of someone that we love. And it might be a family member or a friend that we write down. It might be a classmate or a coworker that we're gonna see tomorrow. It might be a neighbor or, or someone in our network. Lord, we just give these people to you. And we pray for more and more great stories like the one we just watched, where you help us to follow you, Jesus, and you help us to find and uh, help others to find and follow you. We pray this in your name, amen. All right, well, you can type to or turn to or swipe to or scroll to Mark 4. We're gonna be in Mark chapter four. We're just covering 20 verses today. If you're new, we've been in this series of what's gonna be a five month long, uh, 20 week series through the gospel of Mark. We're looking at the man, the message, the ministry, the mission of Jesus. And I don't have time to go through chapters one, two, and three. You can go back, listen to those sermons. Today we pick up and Jesus is teaching again. I've told you this before, but Jesus shows up and he has a, a good way to think about his ministry is a teaching, preaching, healing ministry. Uh, he teached because he taught, because he loved the mind. He preached because he loved the soul. He healed because he loved the body. 
So today we, we see his teaching ministry. Look at me at verse one. We're gonna just dive right in. Here's what it says in verse one. It says this. Uh, again, he began to teach. So Jesus often would teach. Uh, beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat. So he's in a season of popularity. Lots of people are coming out. So he gets on this boat to create some space as well as to use the water kind of to amplify his voice. And so that's what's happening here. Um, so, he, so he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things. Now that's not new, but here's what is new. He was teaching them many things in parables and in his teaching, he said to them, and we'll see the first parable or the long parable, first long parable that he shares. Uh, here's what I want you to know about Jesus. Jesus was a storyteller. About a third of the teaching of Jesus is in story form. In other words, here's what Jesus didn't do. He didn't just come and teach theology, although he did that. He didn't just come and teach spiritual truth, although he did that, Sermon on the Mount and other places. Uh, he didn't just come and teach doctrine, although he did that. But when he could, often he liked to rap theology and doctrine and spiritual insights, he liked to wrap them in a story. In fact, that's what a parable is. Here's what a parable is. It's a short story with a spiritual truth. It's a short story with a spiritual point. That's what a parable is. Jesus, like I told you, 33% of his teaching is parables. Uh, now, why does Jesus teach in stories? Well, because we love stories, right? I always give you a hard time and myself, I give myself a hard time how much Hulu you watch and how much Netflix you watch and how much Amazon Prime you watch and how much HBO you watch right? And how much Disney you watch. And you go, well, I, part, of you go, you, part of you, you say, I can't help it, Kyle. <laughs> Just such great stories, right? That's why you watch a show. It's like, well, you know, I, one of our staff came in the other day and said, have you seen Better Call Saul? And I hadn't seen it yet. They said, we're six seasons in. It's amazing. That's a long story, right? That's 60 hours of your time. It's longer than it would take you to read War and Peace. It's like, we love these unbelievably long stories, right? And we love stories so much that when you get together with old friends, that's basically all you do is tell stories. I promise you, it doesn't matter if you're a guy or girl, you get together with your college friends, you get together with your high school friends, you get together with your single friends, and what do you do? You tell stories, right? Kids love stories. Our kids, like when they're young, they'll just like beg us to read them a story, or they'll beg us to make up a story and tell them a story. I mean, think about J.K. Rowling, right? J.K. Rowling is wealthier than the queen. It's like, well, how did that happen? Because she could tell a story. J.K. Rowling is so unbelievable at telling a story that she got eight-year-olds to read 700-page books and love it. That's the power of story. Now, here's what Jesus does. This is important. Parables, we're going to look at one today, is it, Jesus takes something supernatural and makes it natural. Jesus takes something complex and makes it simple. See, bad teachers take something simple and make it complex. You ever had that, professor? You're like, what? I thought I knew what this was about before I took your class. Jesus takes the abstract and he makes it accessible, right? I mean, how would you talk about faith? That's abstract. How would you talk about grace? How would you talk about mercy? How would you talk about love? How would you talk about truth? It's like, it's kind of hard to talk about. You just give definitions, okay, but what about wrapping it in a story? Jesus makes the abstract accessible. So what we're gonna do today, guys, we're gonna look at Jesus's uh, probably second or third most famous parable. So his first most famous is probably the prodigal son that's found in Luke 15. Uh, but today we're gonna look at the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils or the parable of the seeds. And it's gotten three different names because, well, you'll see in a moment, it's about soil and seeds and a sower, so we'll get there. Uh, but here's what's interesting. Uh, it's Jesus' first long parable that he teaches. That's cool. It's also one of the only parables that we have that Jesus explains. So a lot of Jesus' parables, you're like, uh, what does this mean exactly? You read a parable, like maybe the wineskin parable that we talked about last week, and you kind of got to get, you're looking for context clues, and a lot of times you're like, what did other commentators and how have Christians for 2,000 years interpreted this parable? And fair enough. But at this parable, we don't have to do that. 
Because here's what Jesus is going to do. You're going to see this in a minute. He's going to say a parable. The disciples are going to tell them, they're going to say to him, I, we don't understand that parable. And then he's going to interpret that parable. So we actually know, not only we have the parable, we have the divine interpretation of that parable by Jesus. Okay, let's look. Verse three. Here's what it says. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. Other and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So parable only takes seven verses. If you never heard it before, you might ask the same question the disciples are about to ask, which is, what does this mean, right? So you know this story, probably most of you do. You've heard some kind of explanation of it, but imagine hearing that for the first time, okay? What, what are you talking about? You're using a farm illustration, what does it mean? So look what happens in verse 10. And when Jesus, or he, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you, he's speaking to the disciples, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything's in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. So he's talking about, do you notice he said those outside? What happens is, and commentators notice this, as soon as Jesus gets his 12 disciples, there begins to be insider, outsider language. There are those on the inside, there are those on the outside. Here's how to think about this today. There is the church, and then there is the crowd. And in this room, it's hard, I, I can't tell by looking at you if you're the church or the crowd. There, there is the Christian and then there is the crowd. And what he's saying is the, the point of parables or stories, the point of parables is they both reveal and conceal depending on your heart. And the point of a parable is to see if you have a spiritual appetite. Because if you wanna know more, you can dive into these parables and you will learn so much and you will be changed. But if you have a hard heart, you won't care and they won't matter. And so what Jesus is testing, he's testing people's spiritual appetite and their spiritual hunger because up until now, it's like, man, of course everyone loves Jesus. He's popular. People love popular people. They like to be around somebody who knows everybody. Well, that's not spiritual. They liked him because he healed people. Well, everybody likes free health care. They, they, like, they liked him because he did great miracles. Everybody likes to be around entertainment. They, they liked him because he fed their bellies, feeding of the 5,000, we'll see that. It's like, well, everybody likes him. Free Hebrew Lunchable, whatever you call it. <laughs> and so he's basically saying, do you have a spiritual appetite? And so he's, he's, he's questioning them. Now, now here's what I want you to see. He's gonna explain the parable in verses 13 through 20. And this is where we're gonna focus our time in the interpretation of the parable. Here's what it says. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately take, comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Okay, so we're just gonna look at three things. Easy outline if you take notes. First one is, uh, who is the sower? Second one is, what is the seed? Third is, who are the soils? That's it. 
uh, and we'll be out of here. <laughs> so, uh, guys, so first, who is the sower? Uh, obviously, you know the answer, right? The Sunday school answer is like Jesus or God. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, in one, at one level, God is the ultimate sower, right? He sows the seed. Uh, Jesus Christ himself is the word of God. God gives us the word. If God didn't tell us who he was, we wouldn't know. God has a, this is a good way to think about God. God has a missionary heart. God has a heart to reach people. God wants to be known. So God is the ultimate sower. In fact, one, one way to think about the Bible is it's from Genesis to Revelation. It's the written down record of, well, God's mission. So let's put that aside for a second. Because yes, ultimately God is a sower, but here's, here's who the other sower is. Every faithful Christian is a sower. So every Christian, there's not, here, let me just be real clear, not just pastors, not Christian professionals, not evangelists are not the only people who sow the seed, which we'll see in a moment is the word of God. See, what I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know when this happened. It has something to do, I've read about it. It has something to do with the professionalization of ministry. So when law, when law became very professionalized, you know, there was this long process and then you, had the, you held in high status a lawyer. And then when medicine was professionalized, you had a long process to become a doctor and then you held them in high status. And, and, and so somehow the church took that and did that with pastors. And so it became harder and harder to be a pastor. You had to get more and more education. And then there was more and more of a distance between the pastor and the people or the clergy and the congregation, okay? Well, we don't want to do that. We, we don't believe that the only, we don't believe this, that the only time the word is sown is right here. How terrible would that be? But that is a perspective in a lot of churches. Hey, we got to get them to church because it's just the only place. It's the only time. It's the only person who will sow the word. It's like, well, if, if the only time the word is sown is right here, then it gets sown 52 times a year. That's not very much for a city with a quarter million people with a room that seats 450. That can't be it. It has to be through you guys. So here, here's, here's what I want you to embrace. I just want you to embrace, if you're a Christian, I know not everyone in here is a Christian, that you're a sower of the seed. Here's, here's, here's what sowers are. They're normal people like you and me. I know you don't want to think yourself normal, but you're normal. They're average. And most of us are average. That's what it means to be average. That's the majority of people are average. You're average. Okay. God uses average people. How about regular? God uses regular people. You're regular. I'm regular. God uses ordinary, everyday people. And so here, here's what sowing is. I want to live my life with gospel intentionality. That's it. That's what it means to sow. It's like, I'm living my life. It's like, you're doing the things that you do. You're eating out. You're, you know, you're, you're living a lot. You're trying to take care of your house. You're trying to work your job. You're trying to love your spouse. You're trying to raise your kids. You're trying to pursue your hobbies. I mean, who knows all the things that you're trying to do? You're, trying, you're looking forward to your next vacation because you're just an ordinary, normal, regular person like everybody else in Winston. And, and, and as you're interacting with, with all these people who are far from God and close to you, you, well, you do it with gospel intentionality where you live, learn, work, and play. Here, here's how you and I'm growing in this, I'm no expert in this, but here's how you sow the seed. First of all, you're aware and awake. God, you, this is something you'd like me to do. And then how, this is so awesome. You assume every person that you meet, you assume God's already at work in their life. Why else would he introduce them to you? You're not special, but you are a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the word of God. You're in a church that's encouraging you to be intentionally evangelistic. It's like, do you think it's an accident your neighbor has you? As a neighbor? It's like, man, what if every person, it's like the new person at work, I assume, God's, I assume God's at work in her life. Why else would she work here? God could have put her anywhere. He puts her next to me. I assume God's at work in my neighbor's life. I don't get that many neighbors. I get like one next to me this side, one next to me this side, three across the street. That's all I get to be my neighbors. 
I assume God's at work. How, how exciting is that? And, and all I want to do is I just want to be faithful to sow the seed. Now, we have to answer the second question. What is the seed? Well, look at verse 14. Verse 14 tells us what the seed is. So the first thing I have to do is go, I'm going to be a sower. It's not a special class. It's an all skate for Christians. What God wants to do, he wants to do through all of his people. Great. It's real simple. Anyone can do it. We live our lives with gospel intentionality. The second thing is, what do we sow? It says in verse 14, the sower sows the word. So the seed is the word of God. We believe the word does the work. We believe there's power in the word. But here's, here's what I love about the illustration of the seed. Think about the seed with me just for a little bit. Uh, the seed is, at one level, it's very small. And I believe in the power of the word of God. But hear me in this illustration. I think it's very helpful for us to understand that sometimes the word of God just feels like a seed in our hands. It's like, it feels so small. You look at someone else's life. You look at somebody else's like belief system. And you're like, here's a, you know, here's a seed. A seed's like so small it can get lost. A seed is so small it can get stepped on and crushed. But let me encourage you, here's what's, here's what's so awesome about a seed. A seed is so small it's portable. You can take it with you anywhere. You can drop them without anyone even knowing. You're like, my coworker didn't even know why I shared that video. I just shared that video with her because I had some spiritual truth and I thought she'd like it. My brother has no idea the reason I asked him that question. That was a seed. I just asked him that question so maybe he would think about something. My hurting friend or neighbor, when I just, it was a little, I tried not to make it awkward, so I, I put an airbag around it, but when I said, hey, could I, you know, I know you're going through something, could I pray for you? They probably didn't even know I was just dropping a seed. Sometimes you're able to walk out of a, a, a conversation and go, I just dropped about five seeds, no one saw that, right? And you just like, well, I, what will happen? Will they grow? Here's the other thing about a seed. A seed is, you know, I thought about bringing a seed up here, but it's like you wouldn't even be able to see it. That's how small it is, right? It, a seed is potential. A seed is health. A seed is life. But it's so small, you, can, you can't see all that when it's just in your hand. You only see that when you plant it, right? Like years ago, I was in a college ministry, and we would have these big conferences over New Year's. And one of my mentors, he would always give, he had like five talks he gave, you know, <laughs> more than that, but he had like five big talks he loved to give. And one of his talks was what he, we knew it was known as the acorn talk. And he'd get up at the end of like a four day, you know, everyone's riled up, there's a thousand college students and the final talk before he sent you back home, he would have this acorn and he would say, does everyone see this acorn? You know, this would be like in the middle of his talk and on discipleship and multiplication and all this. And they would say, oh, we see the acorn. He said, does anybody see the forest? He said, because you need to be able to see that in every acorn, there are more trees. And when you think about the trees, there's actually a forest in every acorn. Like there's a guy, it doesn't matter if you've never heard of him, there's a guy named Craig Rochelle. Craig Rochelle, I think he leads the largest church in America. The reason I bring him up is I just got a book by him and I was reading in the book he shares his testimony. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking Craig Rochelle, you know, he grew up in a Christian home probably or his dad was a pastor, I don't know, I just thought that. And he's sharing the story. He says, oh yeah, I was a crazy, crazy kid and I was off in college and I was in a fraternity and I was completely partying. He said, and one day on campus, a Gideon that was there handing out little green New Testament Gideon Bibles. He said, I got the Bible, I went home, I read it, I gave my life to Christ. I thought that's how Craig Groeschel came to Christ. I just picture this guy who gives, I mean, if you've met Gideons before, 
they give away hundreds of Bibles a day sometimes. Probably mostly rejected, and then all of a sudden this 20-year-old goes, and he, here you go. It's almost like, to me, that's like a little seed. I don't know what's going to happen, and it's like, well, here's what happened. The largest church in America. Uh, one of the most influential pastors in all of the world. Through a seed. Now, here, here's the truth, though. The seed has no power until it's planted. I think in churches, we're really good at talking about the seed and how powerful it is. We're great at studying the seed. We're great at writing books on the seed. We're great at listening to podcasts on the seed. We're great at getting in community groups and talking about the seed. But there's no power until it's planted. And then you've got to wait because as soon as you plant it, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. That's another principle of planting. Well, I don't know. It's got to rain. Other things have to happen that are out of my control, but all that I can do is plant it. Well, Jesus is encouraging us. He's going to say, so here's, a, here's the whole message. You're a sower, so live your life with gospel intentionality. Be awake and assume God's at work in every person's life you meet. In that and then, by the way, your life will just get a lot more exciting. Second thing is sow the word. It's like we don't change the seed. We don't choose the seed. We don't add, it's not synthetic seed. We don't add other things to it. We, do, we plant the seed and we see what happens. Now, here's what you see. Now, the rest of the time, though, it's the soils. If you look at me at the soils, starting in verse 14, it's the only thing that changes. In this parable, it's one sower, it's one type of seed, it's four soils. Look at verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path. So the first, I'm going to go through each of these, but I want you to see them. The first soil is hard soil on the path. Where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So the soils represent the human heart. The soils represent how people respond to the gospel. Everybody responds to the gospel, it's just how. Let's, let's look at each of them, okay? The first is the hard heart. And this is heartbreaking. Some of you have family members that, some of you in here may have hard hearts. So many of us have friends or we have family members or we have coworkers, we have classmates and they have hard hearts. And the hard heart is hard because as soon as you share it, you, you, you throw the seed and it just like feels like it just bounces right off, right? You know that person? It just bounces off. It, it's like it has almost no effect. And there's different types of hard hearts, right? There's the angry hard heart. Have you know that person? They're angry at God who they don't believe in. They're, they're angry at life, which is the same thing as being angry at God. They're angry at the structure of reality. But if they're angry, you kind of go, well, maybe God's at work in their life, right? Every once in a while, this doesn't happen that often, but every once in a while, you know, I get an email or somebody talks to me afterwards and they're, they're angry about something I said. And I'm always kind of like, yes. <laughs> because I'm like, well, I, maybe, maybe, maybe I woke them up. Now, every once in a while, it's like, well, I said something stupid. I shouldn't have said it. Fair enough. But, but most times it's like, no, actually there's conviction and anger is a response often when I don't know what's going on inside of me. And so, but, but there's anger and then there's indifference. That's harder, that's more American. It's like, I don't care. That's for you. Sorry, mom, dad, that's for you. 
Or it might be a more kind of prideful indifference, like, yeah, yeah, no, I used to believe that too when I was not as smart as I am now. That's kind of primitive. It's kind of archaic what you believe. So the hard heart is, it, it's, it's hard because, it, well, it was walked on a lot. And so you might say, well, how does someone's heart get hardened? And there's lots of answers to that. It's kind of a mystery. There's a lot of mystery in theology. It's like, I don't know how everyone's heart gets hardened. Pharaoh's heart, sometimes it says God hardened it. Sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened it. Sometimes it says it was hardened. Uh, your heart normally gets hardened primarily through sin. And what happens is, see, what happens to a lot of people is they'll say, well, I'm going to, they don't say this out loud, but they kind of make a deal with themselves. Like, I'm going to kind of, especially if they grew up in a Christian home, they'll say something like, well, I'm not really going to get real serious about Christ right now. I'm going to go through middle school, high school, college, and then I'll get serious about Christ. The problem is your heart normally gets hardened. Because sin, sin what sin does is it hardens your heart. So it's like, okay, uh, can you look at pornography and your heart not get hard? I don't think so. Can you be a part of the hookup, shackup, breakup culture? where you functionally use other people's emotions and bodies and it not harden your heart? Can you love money and pursue the American dream and be materialistic for like a decade and it not harden your heart? It's like this is what sin does. It hardens our heart. This is why Jesus, Jesus says this. He says in John 3, he says, people don't come into the light. And becoming in the light, he, Jesus was saying, is like, become a Christian and love me and follow me and receive Christ and repent. All that, all, that kind of basically means come in the light. He says, they don't come into the light. He says, and he doesn't say they don't come into light because they're not intellectually convinced. But that's what people will tell you because that's a lot safer answer. Well, I'm just struggling with evolution. It's like, well, who are you sleeping with? That's usually the question. I'm struggling with evolution. It's like, well, who are you sleeping with? Because normally what's going on is it's actually, I love something. If Jesus says, they don't come into the light because they love the darkness. And so now here's what's interesting. It says that there's the, the heart is hardened, Okay. But then it says birds come. Did you see that? It says birds come, and he says the birds are Satan, and they take away the seed. Satan can use lots of different things to take away the seed. But it's almost like, hey, there's lots of seed, and if all the seed was like thrown down, maybe, maybe it would rain. If all the seed was thrown down, maybe there'd be like some cracks, because that happens, and then it falls in, and all of a sudden something could grow there. The problem is not just the hard heart. The problem is birds come and take it away. Now, how does Satan take things away? Through lying to us, obviously. Through giving us other ideology to believe, which is happening a lot today. But I'll tell you, and, and I want to be pastorally sensitive, and this isn't a word for everybody, but I think this is a word particularly for our parents of, of kids who are still in the home. My concern, I have this image in my mind of parents who are trying to scatter a lot of seed. Because they, you know, they're like, all right, we've got to pray for them and do devotions and, and ask them good questions and dinner table and get them in kids' ministry and get, 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 you know, all this stuff. And then they, they're real intentional with spreading seed. And then unintentionally, or they're not even thinking about it, they go give their kids to the birds. And I'm, I'm not, we're not anti-public school. We're not anti-state university. But I'm just thinking, how many people just, they're not, they're not even thinking about how their coach might be influencing their kid. They've not been very sophisticated in thinking about their nanny or their babysitter who their kids spend a ton of time with. They're not thinking about the educational system that they're putting their kids in. And then every once in a while, you know, you have a parent come to me and they say, well, I don't know what's going on with Johnny. We spread so much seed, but then we, we sent him to Duke for a degree in evolutionary biology. <laughs> what do you think's going to happen? <laughs> so, you know, 
But I, and I want to be sensitive because some parents, they really, they, they beat themselves up over some decisions they made. But we just, I, all I'm simply saying is we have to be as wise with the seed that we're planting as with the, making sure we're not sending our kids out into the birds. We're putting ourselves in those situations. Sometimes friends can be birds. You spend all this time, you know, and you, and you know this. It's like once your kid gets over five, they tend to spend more time with their peers than their parents on average. And peers kind of raise each other in a lot of ways. That's what tends to happen. But here's the other interesting thing about the hard heart. The hard heart, one of the reasons the human heart is hardened is because um, whenever you, well, let me explain this technically. What happens with belief, this isn't just Christian belief, but we know this psychologically. What beliefs do is they regulate your emotions. Not just Christian belief, any belief, because basically, here's what, think about it just for a minute. Uh, when things are going the way you think they should go, you're calm. It's like, well, I believe this would happen and it happened, right? We don't like when things don't, work the way that we think they should. And we don't like when someone tells us that we're wrong because when someone says you're wrong, then you have to ask this question. How wrong am I? If I'm wrong, how long have I been wrong? How many things am I wrong about? People hate that feeling. Because it's like, well, what if you've wasted half your life? What if there is a heaven and a hell? What if your sin is a big deal? What if you raised your kids wrong? So no one wants to think about that. This is why Tim Ferriss, who I don't think is a Christian, he wrote the four-hour work week. He said in his observation, I thought this was so profound, he said most people in life would rather be unhappy than uncertain. Because the people are, I'm, I'm unhappy, but at least I know what I believe. It's like, well, maybe you're believing wrong, and that's why you're unhappy. But you don't want... You don't have to do the hard work of thinking through everything you believed wrong and how much of you is going to have to die, burn off, and change. So people, as a reflex, they harden their hearts because they don't want to change because they don't want to know how wrong they would be. They don't want to know how deep that goes. That's the first soil. By the way, I think most persecution in the church comes from this soil. Secondly is the shallow soil. Let's look at the shallow soil. The shallow soil is in verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, they have, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Okay, this is what's called the thorny, uh, thorny, thorny soil, or rocky, shallow, it's the rocky shallow soil. And um, here's what he says here, that the people, this is, uh, their, their response is an immediate positive emotional response to Jesus, which is always exciting to see. You're like, man, we love this, you know? Here's what I would actually call this camp Christianity, right? And I'm not against camps. I sent my kids to two camps this summer. But camp Christianity is I go to camp and I cry at the bonfire and I break up with my boyfriend. <laughs> Some of you have been to camp, okay. Um, <laughs> But the, you know, camp Christianity is, is I make a really, really emotional decision with my friends, or we're late, we're up late in the cabin, or the youth leader this, or during the last worship song, I walk the aisle. And, and again, a lot of it can be genuine, but I, my fear is that people make decisions at a retreat, they make a decision at a conference, they make a decision at a camp, and it's only an emotional decision. So it's like their emotions are given to Christ, so to speak, but not their head and their hands, just their heart. You can't come to Christ just emotionally. In the same way that you can't come to Christ just intellectually. 
You have to come to Christ with your head, your heart, your hands, your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's if all of me comes to all of Christ. And, and so what he's saying here is people, they, they have this immediate response, but then do you see what happens? It says the sun comes up and it scorches. Now, what is the sun? The sun represents pains, problems, and pressures. He uses the words tribulation and persecution. So the sun comes up, and it's like, well, the first thing that pushes people away from Christ is pain, problems, pressures. So this may be a saying in the business world, but this is certainly a saying in the church among pastors. What you win people with is what you have to keep them with. So if I win you with Jesus is going to solve all your problems immediately in this life, then I have to keep you with that. So if people are one with a false gospel that, hey, you're going to give your life to Christ and everything's going to be fine and your kids are going to be awesome and you're going to have plenty of money and you're not going to get sick, it's like the, the moment something like that happens, your faith shrivels. And I've seen this, and I don't mean to belittle this, but somebody dies. Or one of your main desires for your life isn't met. Or a prayer you prayed has not been answered the way you think it. And it's like your faith just it just shrivels. It's because most Christians in America, they don't believe the hard prosperity gospel. They believe the soft prosperity gospel. So if I tell you the hard prosperity gospel, you're like, ah, I don't believe that. If I'm like, all right, any of you can be healed of anything at any time. You're like, I don't believe that. That's not biblical. If I'm like, all right, but you do believe that you're never going to get cancer. You think cancer happens to other people. That's the soft prosperity gospel. If I told you you're going to be rich, like real rich, money's never going to be a problem, you're like, I don't believe that. That would be hard prosperity gospel. But like, yeah, that you're just always going to have enough, that you're all, it's going to be easy for you to make money and keep money. You believe that. We believe that marriage is going to be easy. We believe that our kids are going to be simple. We believe our job's going to be fulfilling. And then we're brokenhearted when none of that happens. I actually believe if the first seed, the hard heart, is where all the persecution of the church comes from, I believe the second seed is where all the critics of the church come from. Almost every deconstruction story I've seen in the last two or three years are just people who have a lot of church hurt. And the sun came up and they weren't ready. And I don't mean to belittle the stories, but it's just like, yeah, it's sheep bite. The church is a hospital. Everybody's getting better. We're all humble hypocrites. This is just what it is. And so what you see here is you have, first you have the hard soil. Next you have the shallow or rocky soil. Third, you have the thorny soil. Look at me at the third one. Verses 18 and 19. And other ones are those who are sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word. Look at these categories. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So the second soil has to do with pain. The third soil has to do with pleasure. Do you see that? The, the second soil had to do with problems. The sun comes up. The third soil has to do with prosperity. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, the desires for other things. It's interesting. What he says is that there's two things that'll, that, that can take you away from Christ, and only two things, pain and pleasure. Like, well, that's everything. Well, that's the point. <laughs> but I think pleasure is more subtle, and I think that's why it gets the longest description, and the language is choked. So when you choke something to death, especially a plant, how does it die? Slowly and silently. And that's exactly how most Christians' faith, it shrivels over time, slowly that sometimes they don't even know it's happening. When pain comes in, you normally just see it. Someone's just like, I'm done. 
I'm mad at God. I'm mad at life. That was, but, but, but when someone starts just making more money and more money and more money and life just becomes more easy and more comfortable and one day they wake up like, I just, I'm not mad at God. I just forgot about God. So he gives us three things, guys. I mean, they're broad, right, on purpose. Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, desire for other things. So cares of this world, it's like, well, what is that? It's like, it depends on who you are. What do you care about? Jesus is warning us that we can start to care about things too much and it chokes up things in our lives. It's different at every season and stage, right? When you're single, usually, especially if you're in the church and you love Christ, you know, most single people want to get married. Fair enough. And, but then all of a sudden it just gets choked up, right? Especially by some, usually young ladies. It's like they want a strong Christian guy. They want a Christian guy. They want someone who will go to church. They want someone who believes in God. They want someone who used to believe in God. And then they get married to the non-Christian and their house is divided and their kids are confused. And we wonder, the word got choked. It happens to married people all the time, right? It's like, every, it's fine, everybody's working. And you get married and all of a sudden you're double income, no kids. And you're just like, Christ was the center of your marriage and you marry each other because you love each other and you're strong Christians. And then you both have these careers and they're both kind of taking off. And one day you look at each other and go, oh my gosh, we've got a career-centered home, not a Christ-centered home. Then you have kids and then you have a child-centered home oftentimes and you want your kids to have every act academic achievement and every athletic endeavor and be a part of every activity and experience every amusement. And it's just like, you know, you wake up one day and they're 17 and they don't love Christ and you're like, they're really good at basketball. And you, you know, and then you gotta say, I think we choked it. We didn't even see it. Ha that's the whole thing. It happens so slowly. Then how about the deceitfulness of riches? It's like, you know, nothing's wrong with riches. We have to keep saying this, right? And we're all, let's just take one minute on this. We're all rich, okay? Historically, globally, we're all rich. Okay, end of that. So we're all rich. Uh, so the question is that the riches are just deceitful, right? This is, they lie to us. This is why everybody thinks that rich people make twice what they make until you make that much money. And then you think rich people make twice what you currently make. Um, and, and the thing about riches are they just, it's, they lie to us. And, and it's, they, well, here's what they do. They make a bunch of promises to us and we believe all the promises. And nothing promises, outside of God, nothing promises you more things than money, right? Money will be like, well, <sighs> I promise you health. You're like, well, that makes sense because I could buy the best healthcare. And I could fly to any Mayo Clinic I wanted to, so that would be helpful. I will protect you. God says he'll protect you, but yeah, but what if I could live in one of those neighborhoods with a gate? You know, I, I will meet all your needs, God says. Yeah, well, so does a lot of discretionary income. And so it's very, very easy to one day just be deceived because what money does is it amplifies your personality and it's just like everything in your life is big and God's getting smaller and all of a sudden Jesus falls to priority six on a list of five. And then he says, look at the last one, a desire for other things. This is like the junk drawer for everything else. Reminds me of a guy, there's a guy in Pittsburgh, not in our church, but he's in his 60s, he's about to retire. One of my mentors, I love this guy, such a godly guy and I'm talking to him about retirement and he's telling me what he wants to do for retirement. He and you know he wants to do, he has all these, these missionary endeavors and this things he wants to do for Christ and his church and and he, he said this kind of sheepishly because he wanted to honor his wife and he knows I know his wife and everything like that and he says you know he said but my wife is she's not there he said I married her she's a strong Christian and he said and he said this to me he said 
Kyle, over the years, she's just cared more and more about gardening than anything else. I'm thinking, gardening? I buy my vegetables at the store. <laughs> you know, I skip all that, uh, that stuff. By the way, this is a good, because what, what often is like, looks like a desire in our lives and something we can't live without looks goofy to somebody else. But it was just so sad. I knew what he meant, because I've been to their house. Yeah, the garden keeps growing. That's the books you're passionate about. That's the podcast you're listening to. Do you want to travel to see other gardens? It's like, don't we all have that kind of version of something in our life? Like, you know, who knows what it's going to be on Judgment Day? Lord, sorry. Somehow the fruitfulness of my life got choked up by exercise routine that I got a little too into. God, it was, I hate, I, it's, it's so embarrassing when you have to say it out loud. You're like, it was golf and tennis. It was video games. It was just using all of my money and all of my free time to see other parts of the world. That's, I, I'm that, that's who I am. That's what I cared about. That's what choked up my life. I actually think the job of the church is to try to help people make it through the third soil. It's for us to just look at each other and, you know, because it's hard to see when you're wrapped around a thorn. Someone else has to be like, dude, your house is big enough. You know, someone else has got to say to you, man, you know, you're a great dad, but you're traveling too much. I'm like, dude, your hobby is cool to have a hobby, but dude, every weekend? And that, because and you're like, dude, I, you can't often see it. It's just choking the life of Christ out of you and out of your family. But, well, compared to that, he gives us a positive final one in verse 20. He says this, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So basically, this is amazing. So back then, if you're hearing the story, you're like, well, I'm used to, yeah, there's lots of paths. It's not going to fall. You're used to thorny, I mean, you're used to, you know, rocky soil and thorny soil. It's like, this is the Middle East. What you're surprised at is here, there's some good soil. Something falls in and it goes 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. Now, they say back then, a great return would be 10%. Like 10%, you're like, I know, before cryptocurrency, you used to think that was a good return too. Okay, listen, um, that was a great return. So to say 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, this is amazing. Now, here's what he says. It's, it's the whole idea of being fruitful, being good soil. What does he say? Three things, hear, accept, bear fruit. It's so easy, but so hard. It's so simple, I should say, not easy. You're, I'm gonna say what you think I'm gonna say. Yes, you have to hear the word of God. I mean, who knew what we're doing here is so important? I mean, not just this moment, but by yourself too. You gotta read the word. I don't know, listen to the word. I don't know, listen to a podcast on the word. What you find in people's lives who their faith gets choked up, it's like somewhere they stopped reading the Bible. But how about accepting it? That's the harder thing. Accepting it is the posture of your heart that you're under the word, not over it. It's like, yeah, this is what it says about sexuality. And I should repent instead of resist. And if I keep fighting this, what's going to happen is it's gonna get choked up one website at a time. If I don't listen to what the Bible says about money, things are going to own me instead of me owning things. And so what would be the best thing for me to do is when thing would be for me to submit this area of my life. And then finally, to bear fruit, you know? And fruit is two things. The Bible says the fruit is your life. It's like you're, you have a changed life. And fruit is the impact you have on other people. And here's the thing about fruit. Your fruit should not be hard to find. 
It should be easy. It should be obvious. We shouldn't have to look at someone and go, man, I'm really just, is there any fruit? Right? We do that sometimes for our friends. We're looking for like one apple. We're looking for like one thing to be encouraged by. It's like, man, I don't know. That's why we use things like carnal Christian and nominal Christian. It's like, I don't see any fruit. Our fruit should be easy and obvious. Now, this is, so Jesus basically, here's the whole thing. We are to sow the seed. We ourselves are soil, but every good soil sows the seed. Now, Jesus, he loved the illustration of seeds and sowing so much that he actually talks about the cross in the sense of a seed being sown into the ground. In John 12, I think Donovan quoted earlier, um, Jesus says, hey, unless a grain of wheat dies, falls to the ground, and is buried, it remains just a seed. But if it's planted, it produces much fruit. And he said this to talk about his death. Isn't that amazing? He said, me going to the cross looks like a seed, doesn't it? It looks weak, didn't it? It looks powerless, didn't it? was easy to miss, but what you see is once you buried that seed for three days, it bore fruit. Through the resurrection of Christ and for 2,000 years, we have been celebrating the fruit of the seed of Christ going to the cross and dying for us in our place. So here's my question as we close, is just would you, would you sow the seed this week, starting today? See, here's the thing about a seed that's neat. So I told you earlier, you know, seeds are portable. You can put them in your pocket, take them anywhere. But seeds are small for a reason, right? Because you ever look at your neighbor, it could be your brother, right? It could be your sister, it could be your parents. This happens to me. I look at somebody and I look at their house or I look at their life and I think Christianity doesn't fit. I don't know that it'll ever fit. But what I'm normally thinking is Christianity that is now a tree in my life isn't going, I can't fit a tree in their house. But then I look out and I'm like, wait a second, I can fit a seed. I don't think there's any person you know that you couldn't drop a seed. She's like, Kyle, they're atheists. We'll drop a seed. Kyle, they get angry every time. We'll drop a seed. Kyle, they don't believe in God. We'll drop a seed. Kyle, they were hurt by church. We'll drop a seed. Well, what I want you to do right now is, is whatever card you, whatever, whoever's name you write down the card, would you just look at the card real quick and just, in your mind, you know, just between you and the Lord, just, I want you to look at the card and I want you to think. We, we, don't know, we can't see people's hearts. So when you look at that card, do you, do you see, are they a hard heart? If they're a hard heart, here's what you do with hard hearts. I'm gonna keep dropping more seeds. I'm gonna drop so many seeds that the birds can't eat them all. And I'm gonna pray that they drop in a crack and I'm gonna pray that it starts to rain. When you think of the second and the third soils, we know who these people are. They're people who have been hurt. They need to come back and they need to get roots. They never had the root system. That was the problem. They need to come back. We're going to pray for them. And here's what we're going to pray. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand if you want to pray a specific prayer. Not if you wrote a name down. Everyone wrote a name down. But there's one thing that changes soil, that could change soil overnight. Because you go, well, how does a hard path get changed? And how do rocks get out of the way? And how do thorns get moved? One answer, a storm. In a moment, I'm going to ask you if, you'll, if you want to stand, and we're going to pray a specific prayer over the person's name you write down. We're gonna pray that God sends a storm into their life, which is a scary thing to pray. But it's a, you, you say, Kyle, is that biblical? It's very biblical. When hard-hearted Jonah ran away, what did God send? He sent a storm. Now the prayer for storms are, please wreck the ship that they are running away on, but please save the sinner. We don't want people to get hurt. We want people to wake up. 
Jesus ends his most famous teaching ever, the Sermon on the Mount, with the storm. He actually talks about a future storm that's coming. What he says about storms is storms reveal the foundation of our lives, and we want people to see what's underneath everything. And sometimes the only way that happens is a storm. So if you're here today, and the name you wrote down, you're going to say, Kyle, would you pray for me? Would you pray that God would send a storm in their life? Would you please stand right now, all across the room? Guys, we're representing hundreds and hundreds of people who are far from God, close to, to us. Here's what I'm assuming. I'm assuming God's at work in their lives. I'm assuming God is up to something. When I see a couple hundred people stand and say, I love these people. They're far from God. They're close to me. In a moment, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing, but we're going to pray, Lord, we're going to pray that you bring a storm. Lord, we're going to commit to plant seeds. Let's do that. Lord, all across this room, we just lift up brothers and sisters who we want to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of us, it's brokenhearted moms and dads. It's just so heartbreaking, prodigal sons and daughters. For others, it's just friends and family. And we just want to be so faithful, Lord, to plant seeds, Lord. And we just we pray you would bring a storm, Lord. It is a good thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. Lord, we just give these people to you, Lord. We ask that you would break them. We ask that you'd wake them up, Lord. We ask them that you would show them the foolishness of their ways. We ask that you would, as you did to Jonah, you would destroy the ship, but you would save the sinner. Or would you make us faithful this week to live with gospel intentionality, to assume you're at work, and to plant as many seeds as we can, Lord, and to trust you for the storm. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.